A listener's note. The following episode contains coarse language, adult themes, and content of a violent and disturbing nature, and may not be suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. Since we released the episode about baby Daniel, I've had several people reach out to me who were directly involved in this case. His death impacted so many, and some are still struggling to come to terms with what happened. This is often how journalism works and how we're able to push the coverage of these far-reaching stories forward. That's how I met the 911 operator who took the call in the Brentwood Five massacre. It's also what's led to a number of leads I'm currently following up on in the unsolved murder of Kelly Cook. And that's how I met Laura. At the end of the day, the truth will always come out. And it's it's not even about rehashing uh, something that happened 10 years ago. It's getting the story out to people because the public deserves to know, for one, and and that baby boy deserves justice and not to just be snuffed out under lies and and be treated like he never even happened. I'm Nancy Hickst, a crime reporter for Global News. In this episode, I want to share with you a new perspective on baby Daniel's story. Another voice that's never been heard before. If you haven't heard Daniel's story yet, I would encourage you to go back and listen. Here's a quick look at what happened in this case. In August of 2010, a baby, 26-day-old Daniel Herchak, had been rushed to hospital, barely clinging to life. I started reporting on this case immediately after police revealed he died. You might remember that there was a series of Facebook posts that told a story of a young mother who went out clubbing. In the end, that story was confirmed in court when she pleaded guilty to the manslaughter death of Daniel. A plea bargain today from a Calgary mother who killed her newborn baby boy. Shelby Herchak was charged with second-degree murder, but she pled guilty to a lesser charge. Nancy Hickst has the story. And it comes with a warning tonight. Some viewers may find the details disturbing. The baby's mother, 22-year-old Shelby Herchak, was charged with second-degree murder, but now she's pled guilty to the lesser charge of manslaughter. Essentially what it was was a, a manslaughter plea that she didn't intentionally cause the death of the child was the result of an unlawful act that caused the death. Herchak admits she had gone out partying with friends the Saturday night before Daniel died. Baby Daniel had multiple fractures. His skull split in several places. Daniel's brain was swollen and the nerve roots along the spine were torn and bleeding. He had bruises on his chest, abdomen and back. Doctors also found that a prior brain injury that was one or two weeks old was already healing. According to an agreed statement of facts, it would take severe force to cause the type of head and neck injuries Daniel suffered with likely more than one impact. Herchak admits that while alone with the victim in the early morning hours of August 9th, 2010, she applied force to the victim, causing the fatal injuries. 
But what we may never know is exactly what Herchak did to cause those injuries. That wasn't included in the agreed facts read out in court. It saves everybody the whole process of going through the whole the whole process. And and uh, it just I think what it did today was bring it down to what the whole matter was, was, you know, she pled guilty to what it was. Herchak remains in custody. She's been ordered to undergo a psychological assessment before sentencing. The night before Daniel died, Shelby Herchak posted on Laura Ekout's Facebook page. The post read, Come clubbing with me, Saturday back alley? Call my cell either tomorrow or Saturday afternoon. Later, Laura thanked Herchak for an awesome night. And that's who reached out to me a few days ago. I recognized her name right away from those original posts, and I knew it must have taken her a lot to message me. I uh, definitely sat there. Um, I typed and then deleted and then typed and then deleted. And um, I had kept quiet about this for so long just because of the backlash that I received from it. I was like, maybe I should just remove myself from the situation, stay in the dark, not tell anybody that I am associated with this because it's really horrific what happened and people don't take that very well. Laura listened to the episode before she messaged me, and I'll get to her thoughts on that episode in a bit. First, I want to take you back and share her story to help explain why the death of baby Daniel impacted her so greatly. Laura told me she first met Shelby Herchak when they were about 14 years old, and they were friends on and off for about six years. One summer, her and I got particularly close. We would hang out like almost every day. We would go and do shopping and stuff like that. She said they lost touch for a few months, but reconnected when they were about 17. Laura quit high school and got pregnant. But she decided to go back to school when she was 18, and her little girl was just a few months old and uh, had just gotten an apartment, myself and my daughter, just the two of us, and was going to school at the same time. Laura told me she attended a special school in Calgary called Louise Dean, and that's where she once again reconnected with her check. It's a school for pregnant and parenting teen uh, girls. So I had just had a baby six months prior. I was going back to finish up my high school diploma and Shelby had enrolled to finish up hers as well. They've got a daycare there. They've got two different daycares, one that specializes with baby and one that specializes with toddlers. We're also like connected with our daycare in class. So moms that are breastfeeding would be called back to the daycare when their babies were hungry and they would get excused to class to go feed their baby and then they can come back. Yeah, like it was a really great school for amazing resources for all us young moms. We had to take parenting courses when our babies were born. It was one of the requirements. It was like a semester's worth of parenting courses. It was actually a part of our curriculum that got us uh, credits towards graduating. Laura said her check was about five or six months pregnant at the time. I tried to reach out to help Shelby and say like, hey, if I'm doing this, look what you can do as well, right? And definitely tried to show her that it was possible Laura was all too aware of what it takes to manage the stress of being a single mom. 
it'd be like three o'clock in the morning. She wouldn't stop crying and I have to be up for school at 6.30 in the morning. And uh, I mean, most of the time she had a, like her crib was right next to my bed. I would just put her down in the crib and go stand outside on my balcony for like a five minutes and just breathe, just kind of drone her out for a second, let her cry and then come back a little bit fresh. So that way I feel a bit better. Maybe she'll calm a bit down. I had to, to tell myself to walk away sometimes. You can't just always control the situation. She remembers the Facebook message that set off the series of events that ultimately would end with Daniel's death. Yeah, I was actually had just finished dropping my daughter off with uh, her dad's mom. She, she was going to take him for the weekend. Shelby... Yeah, she posted to my Facebook while um, saying that she was going to go out. They met up that Saturday night at a friend's house and then went to a bar. We get ready. We have some pre-drinks. Shelby had applied for welfare. Her her parents made her get it. That way she could have a little bit of money to support her and Daniel. And she had literally spent almost all of that money at the bar that night. The girls took a cab to another friend's house where they stayed the night. Shelby and I each took a couch and we passed out there for the evening. The next morning, we were both a bit hungover. We were waiting for her friend to wake up. Shelby had a bunch of voicemails. She had about three different voicemails from her parents, one from mom. I think it was two from mom and one from dad. Uh, She put it on speakerphone and I remember her mom saying word for word, We love Daniel very much, but this is your son and you need to come home and look after him. Uh, There was another one asking where she was. She said that she was going to a movie and that they were not going to be sitting up all night with the baby. She needed to come home right away. And I was like, well, what did you tell them that you were doing? And she said, oh, I just said I was going to a movie with a friend. She's like, I guess I better get going and go pick up Daniel. It wasn't until the following morning that Laura got a call from her check. The next morning at about seven o'clock in the morning, I get a text message from Shelby saying that Daniel's been rushed to the hospital. Now this is, this is Monday morning, that he had been rushed to hospital and they were putting him through brain surgery. So yeah, I frantically got up out of bed, called her. She was surprisingly calm. She said that she was just feeding him in the middle of the night. He went limp into her arms and stopped breathing. Laura told me she didn't have any reason not to believe her friend. Daniel was born a little bit premature. He was a lot smaller than a baby his age should have been. So it did seem like a logical occurrence that could happen in a premature baby like that. I offered that I can come down to the hospital. I'll go sit with her, hold her hand. Um, She says, no, they're just allowing family. Uh, She just said, I just thought I'd let you know. And we hang up the phone with each other and then I text periodically throughout the day for updates on Daniel and then it's not until a little bit into the afternoon that I get the text message saying that they're taking Daniel off of life support. Laura said she felt physically sick when she learned Daniel was not going to survive. 
oh, like chills went down my body. You get that sinking feeling, um, you the goosebumps on your arms and your legs, the ears kind of start ringing. Oh my God, how is this happening? Like, so I, I called her and um, I don't think she answered the first time. I think it was the second time I called her and she said she was laying in the parking lot of the hospital that Daniel had been taken off and he was pretty much dead. He hadn't been pronounced dead at that time, but they were, they were doing that. It was gut-wrenching. I cried so hard for her and I just like, I hugged and kissed my daughter and, and held her very tight. And this was when I thought I was under the impression that it was like a seizure or a SIDS type situation that um, it just, it scared me. I was like, oh my God, like this could happen at any time. You could die at any time. Laura said she never questioned her friend. And that's when the controversy began on Facebook. Almost immediately after announcing Daniel's death on Shelby's Facebook there, it was, it was incredibly fast how people were jumping to the conclusion that she killed him before like this was within 24 hours of Daniel dying people are like uh what a cute son you had too bad you murdered him she was sending me the messages of people that were just saying oh you really really messed up you must have done something terrible so when we were talking and she said that she was experiencing this it just it blew my mind i was like this is a woman whose son or son just died like how are you attacking her like this i couldn't i couldn't wrap my head around it laura was quick to jump to her friend's defense i remember seeing those posts on facebook she came out with some strong language trying to protect her friend i was trying to round together some support for her to let her know that like you do have friends and people don't like, I, I don't think that you did anything to him. I believe you when you say that you would never hurt him, which was really stupid on my half. You can find answers to just about anything online, but what about those mysteries that can't seem to be solved? Spooky secrets, which have stumped even the cleverest of clickers. Well, set the mouse aside because the myths have met their match in the Spotify original. Internet Urban Legends. Every Tuesday, evidence expert Louis Lane and skeptic Eleanor Barnes investigate the internet's creepiest conundrums, covering conspiracy theories and combing through clues to separate hoax from haunt. Together, they tackle the terrors of Twitter, TikTok horror stories, paranormal YouTube videos, and every unsettling internet tale in between. Each episode is chock full of disturbing details which are either truly demented or ripe for debunking. Can the gruesome twosome solve these mysteries? Or will they remain internet urban legends? Wade through the weirdest stories on the web and follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Internet Urban Legends. Listen free only on Spotify. Laura said she stayed in constant contact with Herchak as homicide detectives investigated the case. She was quite annoyed that the cops were poking and prodding around in her life. My first thought was if you did nothing wrong, they would be able to to tell that right away. So I kept telling her, don't worry, if you're if you did nothing wrong, you they won't be able to get anything against you. You'll be fine. And I 
when the investigation just kept continuing on past a few weeks, uh, that's when I started to get a little bit suspicious, like why they were looking further into it. And it was about this conversation happened about three or four days before Shelby was arrested. Uh, I was talking to her on the phone and she had mentioned something about they might have bugged her phone. They might be listening to her conversations. And I was like, Jesus, like, why would they, why would they go to such extents for you on something like that? And I'm like, Shelby, if you did something, you need to come clean. And she's like, I didn't do anything more. And I was like, no, I know. Like, but sometimes accidents happen, Shelby, and babies are fragile. It can happen. And if you're just open and honest about it right up front, this will go a lot easier on you. Like it's, you can, you can say postpartum depression or whatever, like you just got to be honest. And, um, she just said that her aunt was calling her. She had to go. And that was the last time I talked to her. Laura told me that her check said Daniel died from a seizure. Again, my own ignorance, I thought maybe just because he's so small and sometimes things just can go so wrong with babies that young without any explanation. We learned a lot about SIDS in school, so it was pretty strong in my mind. It was only when she watched the news and saw police speaking to the media about the case that she learned Daniel died of severe head trauma. The second that the news was released that she was charged with second-degree murder and that the um, the autopsy report was uh, blunt force trauma, I just kind of like sat there and shook my head and was like, oh my God, what did I just do? Um, I had to write a really lengthy apology on Facebook to... Um, the girls that I went to school with at Louise Dean, they took that really close to heart, all of them being mothers as well, and just like admitting that I was wrong and that I jumped to conclusions that I it was unfathomable for me to imagine my friend doing such a horrific crime, but yet here she is. Laura said she watched as the court proceedings unfolded. I should also note those posts on social media defending her friend ended up turning the spotlight on her in a very negative way. I um, started to receive really hateful messages from girls that I went to school with, from strangers. It flipped my life upside down, essentially, and made me reassess everything that was going on in my life um, and the people that I had around me. But um, it made me want to try harder for for my daughter to not only prove to everybody else that I'm not like Shelby. Laura said she bumped into her check once since the court proceedings began. She was out on bail at that time. She said that they found new findings in the autopsy, that it was getting reviewed again over a second panel. And then while they were doing that review, they decided to release her from custody. She said that they found new evidence that would prove that she didn't murder her son. And, uh, and then she looked me right in the eyes and said, I didn't murder him. I did not murder my son. The review of Daniel's autopsy by the Alberta government was later quashed in court, and the medical examiner's findings of homicide by blunt force head trauma were upheld. 
Laura said she watched the case unfold and Herchak pleaded guilty to manslaughter. But she always wondered what really happened. Then, earlier this year, she saw another media report on the case. Yeah, I sat there and um, I looked at my my boyfriend and I made him watch it with me. And I just kind of like sat on the couch and cried. And I was like, I can't believe this. For, for so many years, I was so mad. I had never hated somebody so much as much as I hated Shelby. I was so mad for what she did, the way it happened. Like, how dare you? I hope you rot in hell. That's where you belong. Um, and then this other video comes out portraying that she's been wrongfully convicted. And they did. They made it seem super convincing. And I was like, oh my God, have I been wrong about you this entire time? Do I need to maybe reach out to you to apologize? Or are you just this poor, sad shell of a person now that's had all these terrible things happen to you that's unfair? Like, it really made me question all of my perceptions of her out the window with that one video. It really was like any anger I had towards her was gone in a, in a flash. Then she heard the facts of the case outlined in my podcast. Her Jack's defense told court the baby was killed in a spontaneous reaction to a stressful situation. But family of the young victims say there was help for Shelby Herchak and the death was preventable. The Wednesday before he died, I told her she could come to my house and I would help her if it was getting too much because he cried too much. Herchak cried Wednesday as she told the court, I should have reached out for help when there was a helping hand instead of turning it away. If I had, none of this would have happened. She went on to apologize to her family and the court. I basically shamed the community. I've shamed myself. The podcast was the first time I got in-depth details about the case and what was going on. All I had ever known was just that that the cause of death was blunt force trauma. They never released much more of that. And that Shelby just kept changing her story about what had happened to him. And then going through it and and hearing all of the details that you had and also listening to the lead investigator was quite an eye-opening experience. I think I first paused that podcast, I think at around the two or three minute mark. And I uh, looked at my boyfriend and I was just like, "Uh uh-oh, I don't know what I'm about to listen to. And then I had to pause again when we, when you started to go into detail about his autopsy. I started crying. I had to take the headphones out and pace back and forth. And I, um, I got very animated with my boyfriend. I started elevating my voice and, and getting very passionate about what she did to him. And I just kind of like stare off into the distance and it just, it blew my mind. I was shaking. It was gut wrenching. It was so violent, the injuries that had happened. And I just, it just all started to come back to me a little bit and I was like I can I can actually picture her that night in her bedroom just freaking out on him because he won't settle down I can totally visualize her doing what she did 
That's when Laura reached out to me on Facebook. She said she stressed about that message for a while, especially given what happened when she posted back when Daniel first died. It taught me an incredibly valuable lesson to be incredibly careful about what I post online and what I make public for people to see. So I think it was crucial for my own development and and learning experiences in life. And I've definitely taken those, those lessons to heart over the years. But I, yeah, that's one of the main reasons why I wanted to talk about this is because she did hurt me. Um, she hurt a lot of people. Um, her parents, I think about really frequently, I have met them on several occasions and they are some of the nicest people I have ever met. And just like, just all the lies and all of the damage and, and hurt that you've caused all of these people around you is just, it's unfathomable. And if nobody stands up to you and says you're wrong, then you're just gonna continue on in your delusional perception of life and how things are going. Laura said she often thinks about what she would say to her check if she saw her again. My God, girl, get some help. At the end of the day, the truth will always come out. And it, it's, it's not even about rehashing uh, something that happened 10 years ago. It's getting the story out to people because the public deserves to know for one. And, and that baby boy deserves justice and not to just be snuffed out under lies and, and be treated like he never even happened. And I'm sure that's exactly what she's trying to do. Laura told me from the day Daniel died, she hugged her own baby even tighter and has never taken for granted the gift she was given. Yeah, it's been great. She's beautiful. She's so much fun and she is going to school and learning lots. And, and it's incredible how much they can change on a day-to-day basis. Laura hopes people will listen to this story and that it can spark an important conversation and prevent similar tragedies. Oh, absolutely. This was entirely preventable. She had so much help from teachers, from the principal, from student resources, from her parents, from her friends, from her aunt, from her grandmother, like everybody. Everybody just surrounded themselves around her. She said the key is being open to help. There's programs. I remember there was a program that I was enrolled at where these certified women came to your house for four hours and you could, they watched your baby for you. You could leave the house and go shopping or go for a walk. You could take a shower or you could stay at home and take a nap while this woman took care of your baby for you for a few hours. And they came in once a week and did that for you. She said it breaks her heart because Daniel could still be here had her check reached out for help. And she just pushed everybody away. I think the biggest contributing factor is like an anger problem there. Shelby um, doesn't know how to control her, her actions when she's overly emotional like that. And um, I think the biggest thing is to, to know what your triggers are before acting on them and to know when to, to walk away and, and if your mom 
by yourself, regardless if your parents are sleeping up, sleeping just upstairs, or if you're alone in an apartment and your parents are in the next province. Just, dear God, put the baby down. It is the least harmful thing you could possibly do to them at that moment. It's fine that they cry. It's okay if they scream for a few minutes. That is not going to hurt them. You need to be aware of yourself and your emotions. And I think being so young and not mentally developed enough to have that self-awareness can be a contributing factor. So I think if Shelby just opens up about like, yes, I, I reacted in a very violent way because I didn't know how to handle myself in that situation, you can open up the door for other people to be like, you know what, I do, I also suffer from angry outbursts and if, like, what did you do to, to prevent yourself from doing it, maybe I can do that too. As I mentioned in the first episode, the parole board documents and Herchak's own admissions to the parole board confirm what Laura told me. A written decision by the board states, You say you were an addict at the time and were unemployed and uneducated. You say you were wrong to think you could take on that responsibility of a child at the time. You say you were binge drinking leading up to the index offense. You were hiding your drinking from your family and did not reach out to others for support. On the night in question, you said you were unable to calm the baby and therefore being angry, you dropped him on the ground with a force. When questioned further, you said you threw him down, causing the injuries. You say you did not speak to anyone about your violent actions till about three years later. When the child stopped crying, he was gasping for air. And so you took him upstairs to your mother. You immediately had difficulty accepting what you had just done and were wondering how you could have done something so violent. You said you had told your lawyer about your actions and that there had been previous accidents where you would shake the baby and handle him roughly. You started dealing with what actually occurred when you came to this institution. Since attending counseling, you have been dealing with your issues one at a time, including how you dealt with other people in your life. Herchak was released from prison several years ago. I reached out to both her and her aunt for the episode about baby Daniel to see if they'd be willing to talk to me. They both declined. Herchak went a step further and asked that I not cover her case at all. After we released the episode, she sent me several messages. She called my reporting on her case disgusting and told me I'm destroying people's lives. She said there would be, quote, consequences for myself and Global News for the episode. Because of those emails, I wanted to make sure I gave her another opportunity to speak. She again declined that opportunity. I want to thank Laura for reaching out and sharing her story. I do hope this furthers the conversation 
And if you're a parent in crisis, there is help available, including a national parent helpline run by Simon Fraser University that provides a listening ear, support and guidance to parents and caregivers who are upset or troubled about a family issue, have parenting-related questions, or just need someone to speak to. The Government of Canada also has some resources available online. In the U.S., you can call the National Parent Helpline at 1-855-4-A-PARENT. And if you're in a crisis situation, please call 911. Crime Beat is written and produced by me, Nancy Hickst, with producer Dila Velasquez. Audio editing and sound design is by Rob Johnston. Special thanks to photographer-editor Danny Lantella for his work on this episode. I also want to thank our production assistant, Ryan Robinson. And thanks to Chris Bassett, the National Director of Content and Editorial Standards for Global News. I would love to have you tell a friend about this podcast, and you can help me share these important stories by rating and reviewing Crime Beat on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you have a question, send them my way. You can send me a message on Twitter at Nancy Hickst, on Facebook at Nancy Hickst Crime Beat, and I'd love to have you join me for added content on Instagram at Nancy.Hickst. That's N-A-N-C-Y dot H-I-X-T. Thanks again. Please join me next time on Crime Beat. A gunman on the loose in a quiet coastal town. By morning, 22 people were dead. I'm Sarah Ritchie. I live in Halifax and I'm a reporter for Global News. On my new podcast, 13 Hours Inside the Nova Scotia Massacre, we'll examine every hour of this tragedy to try and piece together what happened and what could have been done to prevent it. You can listen to 13 Hours Inside the Nova Scotia Massacre for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts.